This episode of the Friar Podcast was recorded at the What Cheer Writers Club studio in downtown Providence. The What Cheer Writers Club is a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators, including us, the Friar Podcast. You can visit them online at whatcheerclub.org or stop by the club headquarters at 160 Westminster Street, again in downtown Providence. Hello and welcome, Friar Town. Today is November 7th, and we are back with the season preview for the 2022-23 Providence men's basketball team. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. Hello, everybody. And welcome back to the Friar Podcast. I, of course, am your host, Billy Ritchie, joined by Kevin Farahar as we team up together in FriarBasketball.com, as I'm sure you guys saw the news this week. We're back. The 2022-23 season is upon us, and we wanted to get together to provide you guys with a season preview as we get ready to start another Big East season that hopefully ends in another Sweet 16 round and beyond. Kev, how do you feel to be back? And are you ready for the season? I'm more than ready. Yeah, it's been. Um, it hasn't felt like a long off season because it went so much later than we're used to. But um, it's kind of nice. It's snuck up upon us. It's been great to go back the last what two three weeks now and see him playing at, at the amp. I guess we're calling it now. Um, so thrilled, really, really excited to get back. Excited to be podcasting again. You know, we've been busy working on a different project, but um, we'll have more of that in a sec. But really, really excited to get going. Yeah, it feels like we were just in Chicago together at the Sweet Sixteen. And I don't know if our listeners can tell by the quality of our uh, audio here, but we're actually recording from a studio downtown in Providence that we're going to be utilizing all season, um, which we're going to be doing some in-person interviews, including some alumni, players, staff, as we go throughout the 2022-23 season. We're live here from the What Cheers Writers Club um, in downtown Providence on Westminster Street. Um, if you guys can look them up and support them, they're a great nonprofit organization. And I'm going to close out the episode today with some, uh, you know, facts and figures about getting involved here at a, at What Cheer Writers Club. So, Kev, let's kick it off and, and and talk about first our pod series. We've been working all summer on a recap of the 2013-2014 Big East champions, a team that is definitely near and dear to my heart as I was on campus uh, when they were playing. And uh, Kev, I think we got to let the listeners know that you know this 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 is not easy to put together. We had five interviews, two interviews ourselves, where we have to just go over and put everything together and edit everything back. Um, you know, we went out against different time zones and different schedules. Uh, you want to give the listeners a little bit of a preview about what we've been working on? I think most people who are listening to this probably know that we did a podcast last year, right, on the O three O four team. And it was so much fun. We had gotten, what, four players in that team, and Bob Walsh was an assistant coach for them, both in 0304 and at PC last year. So his perspective was great. All the guys were awesome. But almost right away, Bill, I think you'd agree, we were like, we want to get the 14 team. You know, we started on that. When did we start reaching out to people? Probably in the late spring? Pro- yeah, pro- early summer. Yeah. So it's a process, right? So we were reaching out to people um, then. You know, we started the interview process probably in late July, early August, and we just wrapped up. Our last one was with Bryce Cotton. We got Bryce for about an hour, which was awesome, and he was really candid and, of course, you know, really insightful. So, you know, you're coordinating with Bryce, who's over in Australia now, so just getting kind of in touch with him and getting that set up was kind of our final step. But we have a, a great list. We talked to Ed Cooley. We talked to 
Kadeem Batts, LaDonta Hinton. We talked to Carson DeRochers, and we talked to Ted Bancroft, and they were all really, really good. I think we're probably combing through, I don't know, six, seven hours of audio. Um, Bill's done a lot of legwork there, which has been really appreciated by me. But I think it's going to be really good. You know, I, I think we're pretty close now. Um, we're hoping for probably the middle of November for that. So um, I think fans are going to like that, um, what we've said in our articles and online. If you missed it, though, it's going to be a couple of different episodes, like we did with the 0304 podcast last year, right? We had four episodes last year. I think we'll do we'll aim for probably the same this year. And I think they'll be pretty filled with a lot of good information. And we've been putting a lot of videos and tidbits out there. But um, it's just been fun. It's a lot of fun to catch up with these guys and get their, their memories of it. And to be honest, I think a lot of them have said how much they enjoyed going back, right, and talking about it. But, Bill, you know, love to hear your takeaways and just your thoughts as we get close to releasing this. So when we sat down with Bryce Cotton, which was an honor in itself, the first thing he said was, I am excited to talk about this team. And then when we concluded the interview, he was like, wow, I really was just in my nostalgia there. Like, it was just great to talk about it, right? And the goal of these pod series is to give you guys an in-depth look to truly what was happening, right? Right as it was happening. There are Friar fans out there currently, maybe some who are attending PC or, or, or newer, as we've had some success in recent years, that probably don't know about this team, that don't know the trials and tribulations that came before in the Kino era, that don't understand uh, the lack of the lack of things coming together prior to that 2013-2014 series. I mean, the year before, and we chat on this on the, on the pod series, you know, they were an IT team. They, they couldn't make that jump into the NCAA push, and Five, you know, five straight years later, this team was the catalyst that kind of brought this big run together. I really enjoyed chopping it up with uh, Ted Bancroft. I thought he was extremely animated, and I think you guys will all enjoy hearing from him. Carson, uh, you know, Car- Carson should probably be in the in some sort of broadcasting or analysis business. He was phenomenal. Bryce's passion. Uh, we were able to sit down with Coach Buck, uh, Ladante, and. Like he said as well, he was really feeling the nostalgia during the whole episode. Interviewing Coach Cooley for the first time was awesome. We really appreciated him taking the time. And Kadeem. And Kadeem. So with with Kadeem, I mean, this is like, Kadeem is just an unsung hero in PC history. never gets enough credit. And just to kind of hear what he's up to now and hear how the transition from Kino to Cooley affected him. We're not going to spoil anything, but... I mean, it was just, it's just a great story, right? Right. I walked away from the interview with Kadeem and, and just thought, wow, like, you know, PC basketball is in the, in the New England areas is about as big as it gets. And we're just really excited to share with you guys what we were able to put together. Uh, as Kevin mentioned, it's a lot of work, but you know, this is the type of content that, that we committed to when when we thought about the initial podcast idea for the 2003-2004 team. Yeah, and Bill, I loved how open, especially the guys from the keynote years were. You know, I think they're far enough removed where it's been almost a decade where I feel like you can get a little bit more kind of honest feedback. And everyone knew where the program was at the time. but And it's not like they completely buried, you know, the prior coaching staff, but they were pretty honest about, what it was like and what a transition that was for them. So to me, I think that's going to be one of the most interesting parts between Ted and the, to be honest, I forgot Ted was with Kino. You know, you, you kind of lose years a little bit with the walk-ons because you're not following the recruitments all the way through. But Ted and Kadeem especially, I thought the two of them were really open and honest about, you know, what it was like previously under the prior coaching staff and then what 
a night and day transition it was to Coach Cooley. And I think it's kind of a cool journey. You know, they, they take you through, you know, the keynote years to kind of building something the year prior and winning the, or not winning the, but making the NIT to, you know, we, we went through the whole season. You know, we basically tried to cover all the big games. We talked about everyone on the roster up and down, um, what losing Chris Dunn meant to those guys. So there were so many things that we covered. Um, and I think that people would just really, really enjoy it. So we're psyched about that. I think that's going to be a really nice thing. And hopefully we can get that out in November so it'll coincide pretty well with the start of the season as well. To close out on the on the pod series, a big part of it were the transfers. And, you know, we've seen transfers now today in college basketball and how wild it's gotten. But, you know, back in the day, we were able to scoop up a couple ACC transfers that really, uh, really changed some things for us. And the fate of Bryce Cotton, you know, was he going to remain a friar after not really starting off his career so hot in Friartown, not getting the initial push, you know, from the coaching staff, having to figure out his role. And, and the rest, of course, would be history. You know, and finally, the first Coach Cooley team where, you know, he was able to raise a championship and really just get ahead of schedule, right? Uh, I, I want our listeners to think about this team as, you know, the team that really brought things together for Cooley, again, ahead of schedule only in year yeah. three. And Bill, the other thing too is that was the first year of the New Big East, and not just the New Big East, but Fox Sports One. So we got perspective on Cooley, and and he basically said, I think I asked him, I worded it along the lines of like, not many people believed in you guys, and he, and he as a as a conference, not PC, and he was like, no, correction, no one thought this conference was going to work. So, um, you know, we forget now, a decade later, um, almost, but. There were so many questions about the league, too. It's kind of interesting to go back and look at that point of time for the league. It was a real time of transition. Um, and then it's cool, too, to hear the guys talk about what it was like to welcome Creighton and Butler and Xavier and their perspective on these new programs that they weren't familiar with at all. So um, especially Bryce. I thought Bryce had really, really interesting insight, which we won't spoil, but really good stuff on that. I'm in the pod. So so we're really excited. I think it's going to be really good. Bryce had the best insight on the teams not from the original Big East. So, moving on, let's talk about the preseason action for your 22-23 Friars. There's a lot of transfers on the roster. We lost a lot of points per game from the Sweet 16 team. So, obviously, this offseason means a lot in terms of everybody coming together and being able to gel efficiently going into the season. The Mal Brown scrimmage was hosted at the newly crowned AMP. I'm going to go down the roster really quick for those who didn't know which, who was on which team. So for the white team, we had Jaden Pierre, Quante Berry, Cliff Moore, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, and Luke Fonts. And on the black team, we had Alan Breed, Jared Bynum, Ed Croswell, Noah Locke, uh, Scott Morzov, Rafael Castro, and Kiernan O'Hare. Uh, Kev, what were some of your impressions from the Mal Brown scrimmage? Yeah, so Bill, initially a couple quick takeaways. I thought it was interesting that Cooley basically set up the teams where it was almost more of a veteran team, right? The Byam Croswell team versus kind of the younger transfer team. Um, and the other thing that was kind of jumped out, and I know Cooley's talked a lot about this um, this fall, is they didn't play the walk-ons at all, I don't think, in that game. So he's mentioned really wanting to get these guys used to playing um, at the AMP. Um, and I think that was a big thing. Like these guys basically logged 40 minutes. I thought what was telling the big, the big things for me was initially the black team, you know, Bynum and Croswell's team, they were up like 20 something points early. And then Bryce Hopkins, I wrote about this, but he had 29 points and nine rebounds, but it's not just the 29 points, but he didn't score for the first 12 minutes of the game. 
then he just went kind of nuts. Um, and he's been the revelation of, of the exhibition season. I don't think it's a su- huge surprise to people, but I think people are surprised at just how skilled he is. He's really, really physical going to the basket. Um, he explodes. He's strong going to the basket, but he's also really agile, and he's a good passer off the bounce. So he's going to be a big piece. I've seen him compared to, like, the Alpha Diellos and the Rodney Bullocks, but I think he's a totally different style of player. Um, you know, I've written that, you know, who knows what's going to happen, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if he was an all Big East player as high as second team this year. He looks that good. Um, and that's, to be honest, that's his pedigree. You know, he was a top 40 player in the country, and there's not many top 40 players in the Big East right now. If you're coming off of national rankings, he's probably one of the top three or four um, as far as high school credentials coming in. Um, so he's been unbelievable. Um, but I think that was the biggest thing for game one. I think the other thing, which Cooley has said, you know, the ball movement's been surprisingly good considering it's a really, really pretty much a new team. Um, I think the defense is obviously um, catching up a bit, which is to be expected. But the ball has moved really well. And the thing that Cooley's mentioned, and, and Bill, I'm talking kind of more broadly now beyond Mal Brown, is that, and Cooley really, really focused on this in the, in the, in the post-game press conference after the assumption game, yeah, they've got a lot of ball handlers now. They have a lot more playmakers than they've probably had in years past. And they've been, in the past, really reliant on, like, one point guard last year, kind of Al and, and Jared to, to kind of um, control things. But I think they've got a lot of guys who can make plays, and that's a big difference. But, you know, Bill, what have you seen so far? Something that immediately jumps off the page when we're watching this team, right, is their feel. Anybody who's ever played basketball, you know, you walk into the first couple practices – or the first couple games, exhibitions, and you throw up some bricks, the touch isn't there, you know, passes go out of bounds. Really been impressed with this team's feel, right? It feels like they haven't skipped a beat almost in the offseason, right? Also, this team is able to kind of benefit from, from more of an offseason. I feel like the COVID impact of, of bringing guys on uh, onto campus, you know, starting in 2020, kind of spilled over into last season as well. And, and it feels like this this team has had the ability to leverage a little bit more time together and you know just just the level of of talent out there right especially on the offensive end there were times last year where we'd have to manufacture offense right even though we had a next guy up mentality and the ability to have a different guy lead the stat sheets seems like we're going to be able to do it this year in a little bit more of a natural fashion right and putting together two guys who were part of a you know, a great culture and a great winning team last year who were, who were, you know, towards the end of their careers and, you know, three transfers who are, who are stepping into a situation where they, they want to prove themselves and they want to win. I've been impressed with Noah Locke's his shooting touch and, and, and how easy it comes for him. Right. Right. His ability, his footwork, his ability to get open um, and, and, and what his three point stroke sort of looks like. been impressed with Devin Carter's, athleticism and explosiveness like we were talking yeah. about at the yeah. assumption game but i mean in the mal brown scrim- mal brown scrimmage it just shows how deep we are like down to like a Corey floyd who showed his athleticism and showed how strong he is you know finishing in the paint Jaden pierre which we've, we've talked about multiple times right his confidence his swag like he has that basketball iq that again comes from a tri-state point guard that, that you just, again, you, you, you can't teach. And that's not something we're always accustomed to getting to uh, getting as a, as a recruit, especially as a true freshman. So I think the Mal Brown scrimmage showed that we're extremely deep. I think it showed that uh, we do have talent offensively. 
that can that can kind of come together early in the season, and that it, it'll really be how these guys uh, make sacrifices within each other to, you know, pull, pull together wins because we have the talent for anybody to go off on any given night. Yeah, Pierre. I'm glad you mentioned Jaden Pierre. He was awesome the last like six or seven minutes of that game. He just made so many plays, both for himself and other people. I don't remember his stats at this point. They're kind of meaningless in a scrimmage, but. Um, just to be there. I wasn't surprised. I watched him a lot last year. A lot of his games were online, so I probably watched him like almost 10 times. Um, and he was a guy, I remember calling Craig Layton one night, and I was like, I don't remember being this excited for a freshman at PC in a while. Um, I just think he's that talented. He reminds me, mentality-wise, of Kyron Cartwright. And I think people forget that Kyron came in with that Chukwu, Jalen Lindsay, Bento class. And Kyron started right away. I think he started the opener alongside Chris Dunn, and people totally forget that. But he came in, and he was, you know, kind of confident and composed early on. I think Jaden has those same characteristics, only he probably has a little more of an offensive punch. Um, not probably. I'd say he does have more offensive game at this point than Kyra did early in his career. So I think he's going to play a ton um, compared to typical freshman the last couple of years at PC. And I wouldn't be surprised if he plays a lot um, alongside Bonham because he's going to be a guy who's have to get on the floor. So he's going to be a huge piece for them. So let's move to the first exhibition game against American International College of Springfield, Massachusetts. And I think this game it, it was the start of the discussion of where does Rafael Castro fit, right? What a mystery the man they call Slim is. I mean... This guy was running out against American International College. Of course, not the best competition. But he was running the break and throwing passes and getting in lanes and finishing. You know, like he was a high major D1 starter. And and, and just to see his athleticism and his ability to move as a big guy, also adding a little bit of weight. And, and, and he touched upon it in um, the postgame, saying that redshirting was, was probably the right move for him, right? And that he bought into that. And, and, and now he's going to benefit because of it. So I think about it's like, where does Rafael Castro fit? It, it, can he be a guy who is, is not a four even, but playing a three, right? Right? Like against some really tall teams. And then Bryce Hopkins, um, you know, looked great again. Um, Noah Locke as well. And 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 I, I, think, I think in this game in particular, to see us score around 100 points, but have our leading scorer have 18, uh, with a bunch of near double-figure scorers, tells you that, again, the offensive talent is deep. Yeah, that was the Castro game, right? What was he, 8 for 8 from the floor? And I thought, in watching it, you probably don't want him doing this in Big East play, but the fact that he went end-to-end, and it wasn't like you know, a goofy 6'11 guy dribbling with his head down. He was moving really, really well, and he gets out the floor. He had a block in the Mall Brown game. Hopkins put up a fadeaway from, like, you know, 14 feet and Castro just extended and blocked it and I thought it was interesting Hopkins said somewhere I can't remember that that Castro is one of the best big men he's ever gone up against he was really kind of singing his praises so um, I'm a little concerned the hype train is taking off too early I think you know there'll be a learning curve there but I think he's probably farther along than people thought I thought it was kind of funny that Cooley after that scrimmage maybe He's basically saying, oh, people are questioning Slim. How's he going to fit in? I'm like, I don't think it's really that. I think it's more that you know, the kid really, he didn't play. You know, They didn't have a senior year of high school due to the pandemic. Uh, they didn't really have an AU season um, 
prior to that. And then he sat out last year. So he really hasn't played in two years. And he was at Dover High School in, in New Jersey. And they've I think they've never had a Division One player. So you go to some of these bigger prep programs, they have video of everything. They've got these, you know, videographers following these kids around everywhere. Whereas there was just no footage of him. And even if there was, you know, what we've seen is probably three years old at this point. So, um, you know, I guess I'm not totally shocked because, Bill, we talked to Bob Walsh before the year last year. Um, and he essentially said that they were surprised at not just how athletic he was, but that he was productive in practice. You know, he was giving up probably 50 pounds to Nate Watson and Ed Croswell, but he was productive just with his length and athleticism. So it's not like he was just, you know, showing glimpses. They said he was producing back then. So I expect him to play a lot, and it really changes things, right? Because Cooley talked about the fact that he thinks they're going to go bigger now. Um, play Hopkins at the three, and that would mean Caster next to Cliff Moore or next to Croswell or Moore next to Croswell as well. So that was kind of interesting development because my thought was that they were going to play mostly guards because they're so loaded with, like, combo guards and they've got Bynum and Pierre. So that could change, but that was the big takeaway for me, um, or one of them this fall, that they're really going to try and play bigger. And, they, you know, maybe last year they saw the benefit, right? AJ 6'6". Durham 6'4", Manaya 6'6", 6'7". So having that length there really did make a difference, and maybe they're trying to replicate that a little bit. I really think the story of this team, right, it's pretty identical both in the forward and center position as it is in the guard position, where you have some grad transfers and really experienced guys, and then you have an underclassman fighting for minutes directly behind them in Castro and Jaden Pierre, right? And... It's just an interesting. Di- it'll be an interesting dynamic as the season goes along. If Pierre is successful, if Castro is successful, is you know where does that fit in with Cliff Moore? Where does that fit in with minutes? Like how how do you keep everybody happy through the rotation? It's probably one of the hardest things to do in college basketball today, with the with the immediate transfers, right? And something also to take a look at before we talk about the assumption game is where does Alan Breed fit on this team, right? At the end of the day, he played some some big minutes for us and some big games last year, right? Made some heady plays with Alan Breed, right? This is somebody who Coach Cooley has trusted to make some make and take some big shots and and, and play in big moments. Um, and I'm just curious to see where he fits in on a roster that's just that much deeper. And Bill, I think the first month of the season is going to be big for Breed because I think that's when he has the advantage, right? There, Cooley's been harping on how the defense is a step slow. Breed's a good defender, and he's been here for three years, right? Like Cooley talks about knowing the system. He knows the system. So if he's going to make some headway as far as gaining more minutes and kind of asserting himself ahead of guys like Corey Floyd. Um, I think it's going to come in November. Um, I'm interested to see what happens as far as, you know, I wonder if it's offensive confidence. I'm not sure what you think, Bill. But he was a guy who had 18 and 11 and 4 against Villanova, right, as a freshman. So I don't know if they need him to be a great scorer this year. Probably if he's going to play bigger minutes, he's going to be a better scorer than he was last year. I think with Alan Brady, you know, he played high school ball at the highest level at Iowa yeah, State Academy, yeah. right? And he played in Georgia, too, and was a winner. His Georgia team was, like, the best team in the country. They had, right. you know, in, what, two or three NBA players on there? Right. Um, and IMG, yeah, he played with Kenyon Martin's kid who's now with the Rockets. He played in a really good team, too. Um, so that's got you kind of like having guys like that who are – they learn to play a role at a young age. Um, and he's, you know, obviously he's stuck it out. He's, you know, kind of like Malik White. Like, when Malik was here – I remember thinking when Mackay, Ashton Langford came in and Duke was coming, I was like, is, is he going to stick it out or is he going to go somewhere down like Virginia and play like 30 minutes a game and score like 16 at night? 
but he stuck it out. And Alan Breed might have a similar path. You know, I think Malik was a better offensive player. But I think there'll be a spot just because Breed can make those clutch free throws and he'll probably, you know, if this game's tight and a stand, he might be in there at the end of the game. So we'll see about Allen. Do we want to talk about anything from Assumption or no? I mean, the main thing I want to talk about from Assumption was I feel like Cliff Moore, who we haven't yeah, really chatted yeah, about yeah. too much, has, has definitely started to settle in a little bit more. First couple of games is trying to find his spacing, you know, grabbing boards, setting up his teammates. Looked a little bit more comfortable out there in the assumption game with with 12 and 7. Um, I really think, and I know you agree, that Cliff Moore could be a really dynamic player for us this this year with the ability to stretch it a little bit inside out. We saw him take some threes in that assumption game. Yeah, yeah. And I think the first one, you know, I'm not sure even sure he wanted to take it. But <laughs> but he, shot, he hit two in the Mall-Brown game. I think even if he... If he's taking one or two a game, you know, and it, he's at least a threat out there, I'll be interested to see because at LaSalle, so much went through him because he was their best player, right. right? And, you know, you see some passes he made where he's whipping these, like, one-handed passes, like, out of the post to three-point shooters that were perfect. Um, but I don't know if he's going to have those kind of opportunities offensively um, for us to see kind of, like, what his full offensive game is. He faces up a little bit. I think the one thing that, that Cliff does well is he actually puts the ball in the deck really well. Um, you know, I tried to pull together all sorts of highlights of him, and there were a lot of plays that, like, weren't, quote-unquote, a highlight, you know, real kind of place you'd, you'd put on something like that. But a lot of times he was taking guys off a dribble or two or three and getting fouled. He did that a lot. It'll be interesting to see kind of what role he plays offensively, uh, but they've praised him defensively. Ivan Thomas was on the Cooley radio show with John Rook maybe three weeks ago, basically saying he's a unicorn defensively. And Cooley had him and Devin Carter up there after Assumption. And basically, not basically, he said, direct quote, that these guys are going to be studs for us defensively. So I think that's going to be um, important for Cliff. You know, he was he was a great shot blocker last year. Uh, people are like, oh, the A-10 is not the same level, which it's not. But he was, I think, 13th in the entire country in block shots, right? So that's not a fluke. I think that he'll be able to, to protect the rim a little bit. And I, I like how the front court is shaping up all of a sudden now that Castro is really showing something. Yeah. I think Cliff Moore is somebody – we interviewed him. Yeah. I think he's somebody who just fits perfectly with the culture, right? Friends with Al Durham. Al, you know, Al has told him plenty about what goes on in Friartown, and, and, and he just feels like a guy who, you know, may, may due to finding a role and in, in, in playing for a new team, may – get off to a slower start but i could see him exploding as we as, as we head into the back half of the non-conference and into big east play because he has a lot of different dynamic skill sets and i think he's going to provide us uh, a special spark when we need him what stood out to you when we when we talked to him because i have one thing in particular but thinking back to when we talked to Cliff, was there any one thing that stood out when you talked to him? his professionalism yeah was, prob- was, was, was probably number one for me and his ability to to talk through his game and others' games on a very high level and kind of paint a picture in my head of, of of how he saw things on the court. Yeah, yeah. He interviewed like he was thirty years old. I was like, we're talking to a man, not you know, a college kid. Yeah. And I think that's the kind of maturity he's going to bring. And that's one thing Cooley said about him and Carter after the game that they've both been, you know, good and pro- really good in practice. But he said even better, like culturally, they've been really good fits for them at PC. So that was really encouraging too. Before we get into some key games to highlight this season, I want to just talk about the starting lineup real quick and the dynamic again of 
two guys in Jared Bynum and Ed Croswell who've been through a lot, right? And we, we're, we'll touch on that first, and then we'll go to the three transfers and kind of what we expect from them, right? But let's start off. Ed Croswell and Jared Bynum, so different in their games, but so similar in terms of the, the transfer, you know, both transferring from A-10 schools, both not having the initial opportunity to start. In Jared's case, coming in and and, and playing hurt, and, and not having the best ability to kind of show what he was made of and show the whole scope of his game. And and, and Ed, I just look at his time in Friartown as an absolute transformation, right? Yeah. Uh, his body, his mindset, like his his, his his game overall. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just with, with, with Ed Croswell, I look at him and I see his ability to finish at the rim and get in the right spaces on, def- on, on, on defense and offense and get in positions for boards. And I'm like, this, this is a guy that, you could win games with kind of similar to Cleef Young. Yeah. So Croswell, I mean, personally, I came full circle. Like when they first got him, on paper, Croswell's exactly what I want a, a big guy. Like uh, I remember Leo Papil, who's, you know, the head of BABC, used to call, you know, big outside shooting big guys like, you know, they're big for nothing. Right. Like Croswell is like, I, I'm totally content with a big guy who boards, plays defense, just finishes at the rim. Like, for me, Khalif is, like, a perfect center for PC. And then he just struggled that first year here. It was supposed to be his redshirt year, so that was kind of tough for him. But I was not expecting him to have the impact he had at all. And that flipped really, really quickly. And I think people forget, you know, Bill, you mentioned it. Or not forget, may not realize, like, his numbers finishing at the rim are awesome. And everyone's like, oh, it's just, he makes layups. But, you know, he's basically in, like, the 90-something percentile finishing at the rim. And, He's really good off of pick and rolls. Like he's he's just a good finisher. It doesn't always look pretty, but it always seems to go in. And then as far as Jared, like pretty incredible turnaround. It's cool to see like what a positive experience he's had at PC because I imagine it wasn't feeling too good around this time last year. You know, even he got injured in, in November and missed almost a month and came back in that UConn game. And we forget he had some huge shots and big plays in that UConn game. A couple of big steals. He was really really big after not playing for a month. And he just seemed to take off from there. And uh, it's been amazing just seeing a guy who started, what, like 0 for 19 from 3 um, two years ago to turning into an all-Big East player. And now we saw it a little bit at the last exhibition game, right, against Assumption. It was like 50 to 34, and Bynum basically decided, like, enough was enough. And I think he scored in four or five possessions. And it was like, okay, this is what this team is going to be. Like, when they need it, Bynum's going to be the guy to make a play. And I just think coming in with a level of confidence he has now is going to be big for him. I mean, his handle is, is is schoolyard good, right? Right. His ability to create his own shot is phenomenal. Made some nice little step backs in in the exhibition to kind of get warmed up for the season. But I mean, the 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 story is is divine providence, right? I mean, injuries, doubt, coming off the bench, and really just makes the absolute most of the opportunity. And now is sitting as a first team Big East preseason selection. I mean. Couldn't be happier for Jared. We interviewed him. Great kid. Great kid. Great demeanor. Didn't let the coming off the bench thing bring him down in any way. If anything, had him elevate his game to the point where he's like, hey, like, I'm going to get that sixth man, and then the next year I'm going to take it to another level, yep. right? Yeah. So really excited for them. And let's chat about the transfers. Um, Noah Locke, Devin Carter, Bryce Hopkins, right? We got couple SEC guys, well, technically technically three SEC guys with Noah Locke having, yeah. Florida, yeah. having, having yeah. the Florida run, too. And Noah Locke, let's start with him, right? We strike out on him twice. 
he's here. What do we think? So, no, it's funny. I was looking back. I may be wrong in the years, but I, I'm almost sure that Noah Locke was on campus at PC for their elite camp in 2016. You know, so he's going to be playing here in 2023. It's a crazy journey. I'm, I'm almost positive that's a year. I think it was before his junior year. He was from um, playing at a school in Maryland. Um, but when you look at it, he's hit 285 threes, I think, um, over his four years. And I think that will be more than anyone in PC history. I know Donnie McGrath holds the record. I can't remember his number. And he's shot. I mean, if you combine his three years at Florida, Bynum shot over 40%. Last year, Louisville was just a mess. Chris Mack got you know fired during the season. I think things just fell apart there. So I didn't put too much credence in there. I think he's going to feast. He's going to be the one guy who's going to get a ton of looks. Just because now, obviously with Bynum, but also Carter and Hopkins are guys who just get downhill and can kick it out pretty well. So I think Noah Locke's going to get a lot of shots. And they want to push. I think he's going to get a lot of threes in transition. So I think he's going to be a good piece. You know, I hopefully can get up to, you know, that high 30s, low 40s from three. If you combine him and Bynum, that's a pretty good shooting duo. Although my concern is they'd be a little bit small. You know, you kind of saw what Villanova did to us last year at the dunk, kind of posting up the guards a little bit. And I think Providence, when you look as far as, like, where they're going with their guards, like the Garway Duals and Corey Floyds are going for the bigger guys who can't really get posted up in the same way. But um, that's obviously going to be a be a dynamic front court. Bill, interested to hear what you thought. We, we touched on Hopkins, but as far as Devin Carter, I'll share my thoughts as far as what you've seen so far from him. NBA-level athleticism. He actually posted a video of a, of a dunk he did with LaDante. I don't know if you saw no, it. No, I didn't where see he it. threw it off the side of the backboard, and he windmilled and finished, right? For a sophomore in college, this kid's ahead of his years athletically, right? But what's really impressive is with all of his pedigree, with all of his athleticism, he seems really dialed in. He seems really dialed in, and he seems like he plays with an an aggression, I said, much like Chris Dunn, of, yeah. of like getting to the basket and enforcing his will on, on, on drives and, 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 and when he's creating for himself, right? Not comparing them game-wise, but in terms of like motor, his motor is like Chris-esque. Chris-esque. It's it nonstop. Like it's... You know it's going to be there in the two minutes to go in the second half when you need him. Yeah. So he, the thing is too, everyone looks back. Oh, Carter made the SEC freshman team. He averaged nine points a game. He only played eighteen minutes, so he scored nine points a game in eighteen minutes. And I'll be interested this year. He's going to be probably low thirties at you know at the very least high twenties in minutes. Right. Um, and he played like his hair is on fire on both sides of the ball. And I wonder if, if when he's playing in more extended minutes, if it's going to be like that level because he was in constant attack mode. And at times he was, you know, dribbling into traffic. But more often than not, he's, he's forcing things and just his free throw rate is like through the roof. And we were talking after the assumption game. Like I don't – I can't think of a friar that he really is like a direct correlation or comparison to. Um, you know, he's probably – He's different than Don. Yeah, I wouldn't say he's as strong. Um, but, like, he's just a freakish athlete. And I don't remember, like, a 6'3 guard. Maybe Wamey a little bit. I don't know who's similar to him. He's, he's certainly unique. And, and, and just excited to see what he can provide as, as, as we go through the season. And, you know, the games mount up. And, and, and guys, you know, guys get tired. But 
I have a feeling we'll be going to Devin Carter when we need him uh, down the stretch. And he wants to do the stopper. Like, he's talked about, like, you know, maybe that's that whole, like, Miami Heat pedigree with his dad. But I think he's the guy who wants to take on that challenge of, like, covering the other team's best best scores. Um, so I think that's going to be something that will be pretty key, right? When you have all these – when you have transfers, you're not sure everyone's going to mesh. And if you've got a guy who's talking defense first, like, you don't need the ball to play really good defense. So I think that's really big for him, too. Certainly going to get after guys, and of course, give my article a little bit of a plug here, too. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Yeah, my first article, officially from FriarBasketball.com, is a tr- contributor. Welcome aboard. Thank you, Kev. It was on Bryce Hopkins and how the Kentucky Wildcats back in 2013 2014. This is all full circle, guys. This is all full circle that we're doing the pod series, of course, on this wonderful year. Didn't want to come to the dunk at the time, now the amp. And now we have one of their own. And, and, and I just think in this really unique college basketball landscape that this this kind of signifies a new era of what we can fill our roster with at the end of each season right it, it, it is blue chip level talent for guys maybe who want to get back closer to home or maybe they want to be that guy and i know that bryce hopkins wants to be that guy for the providence friars and bill i love the article i was glad to have you on board so that, that was great that you you're going to contribute with us you know he's got family here too so it was kind of uh, it almost works out well in a way. I, I was thinking about this this fall. You know, for a guy like Hopkins, if he came to PC at first, maybe there's always that question of like, what, what would have happened if I got to Kentucky? You know, for some of these guys, maybe it's like you get that out of your system and you see the grass isn't always greener at the bigger schools. So I think you get him at the right time, kind of coming in with a chip in his shoulder a little bit. And I just think he's been excellent. And I don't think it's a matter of, you know, the level of competition being low. I just... It doesn't take a lot to see that he's really good, right? You have to be any sort of advanced scout to see, like, this guy's really, really talented. So between the three of them, I mean, it's crazy, too. People forget Devin Carter and Cliff Moore, they both committed on the same day. Remember that weekend? It's kind of funny. We forget a little bit, but Noah Locke committed on a Friday night, and I think the following Sunday or Monday they committed, and they didn't know they committed at the exact same time. Remember, they both had the uh, Instagram messages out there. They, they had no idea they were doing that at the same time, so it was kind of funny. You know, I think they've got a good, good group coming in, and I think the pieces fit pretty well. You know, of course, we'll see how it all plays out. But similar similar to last year, I think the, fe- the pieces fit pretty well on paper. To close out on Bryce Hopkins, right? For as much as he can do offensively, he can score from all three levels in a very smooth fashion with, with a great feel for the game. His ability to pass out of yeah. the high post, yeah. I think it's going to be incredible to set up JB and Noah Locke, especially for, for deep threes and, and, and Devin Carter to drive, right? I think our passing ability between a lineup of Bryce Hopkins and Cliff Moore, our big man's ability to pass will be imperative to offensive flow and success this year. So we before we before we kind of bring things together here, we just want to highlight a couple key games on the schedule for for this upcoming season. As as everybody knows, we have Ryder coming up on opening night, November eighth of the dunk. Everybody, we need everybody there for that, especially as the team raises a banner. The sort of the key games to highlight. I mean, we start off a little bit slow in terms of like your you know your your storied opponent, if you will, but. I think, Kev, we got to highlight the Hall of Fame tip-off at, at yeah. Mohegan Sun. We were yeah. talking about it prior to recording. We got Miami, uh, and, and then a potential matchup or re rematchup against the Billikens. <laughs> Remember we played the Billikens yeah. a couple of years back? And St. Louis is good this year. So that's kind of – I actually think St. Louis, I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Maryland. Like They're going to be – they're going to be pretty good. I think they're at the top of the A-10. So, obviously, Miami will be a really good game. 
You get Jim Laranega there. Um, so that weekend, one of my favorite weekends of basketball ever was 2014, was it? With LaDante going off for like 38 against Notre Dame, and they really beat up on Florida State. And that was Chris kind of starting his coming out party too. Um, that's a great environment. Friar fans want to get out to that. Um, I think, you know, the games are, I think it's late, 4 o'clock against Miami on a Saturday, then the afternoon game on Sunday. So that's a really great take. I think the unfortunate thing about the way the non-conference schedule broke down is a lot of these games are either neutral, the bigger games are neutral site or on the road, right? TCU is going to be a top 15 team going into the season. They're going to be really, really tough. That's at TCU. That's a tough one. URI, of course, the first Saturday every December, right? That's going to be obviously a, a wild scene. Archie Miller, um, I, I think Providence has a better team on, on paper, obviously, but that's a tough place to win, and they're going to be ready. And I think those are kind of the highlights, right? Like I, I think those are going to be the biggest games. We'll get to the the Big East portion of the schedule, you know, later. We've got almost what two months till then, but I think those are the big ones to look out for. I think TCU is probably the biggest challenge. That's a road game. You know, in late November, that's probably the toughest one as far as I see it. We'd like to thank everybody for listening to episode 26 of the Friar Podcast. And as always, a special thank you to our longtime guest host, Kevin Farhar, FriarBasketball.com. We'll be back in the coming weeks. Don't forget to follow us on social, Instagram and Twitter at the Friar Podcast. Rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. And as always, go Friars.